Hello everyone, welcome to a new Process Mining Café. Um, today we are going to talk about the different perspectives, the different process perspectives that you can take on the data with process mining. And um, I'm very happy to have uh, a guest here today and our guest is Marco Montali, full professor at the Free University of Bozen Bolzano. Hi, hi Marco, welcome to the café. <laughs> hello, I'm hello. It's very nice to be here with you. Thank you Great. for inviting Oh, you're welcome. So maybe do you want to say a few words about the the, the type of research that your group uh, does in Bolzano? Sure. So uh, I think we are one of the few groups who are trying to combine different techniques uh, to develop uh, uh, new results in business process management and process mining. In particular, what we try to do is... Uh, drawing uh, from uh, different fields, in particular artificial intelligence, data management, and formal methods. Um, and so we, we then can cover a broad uh, uh, spectrum of different techniques uh, where we, we take uh, uh, results uh, or languages or algorithms that are developed in artificial intelligence, formal methods, and data management, and we try to use those to solve uh, Uh, problems related to process mining and business process management. Uh, a particular uh, field that is very interesting for us is when the process and the data perspective are combined together, which has to do partly on the models that you can like enrich them right uh, with data, but also the problem of you know analyzing data in a more uh, holistic way. Yeah. Okay, that's great. That's uh, especially the topic of perspectives and the data that's really fitting for what we're what we're going to talk about here today so welcome again and, and thanks thanks for joining um, for all of you watching there right now um, if you're watching this live you can um, actually participate in the in the session today like always you can join the chat so it's just below this video on the on the same website where you're seeing this right now you can just type in your name and then your uh, you can enter the chat the live chat and um, in there you can ask questions or send us comments of things that you, that you want to add to the discussion and throughout the session we will keep an eye on uh, on the things you're writing and we will uh, try to pick them up and um, discuss them here um, yeah and to get you started we also thought of um, some questions we have for you so for example I uh, would be really interested in how many perspectives you typically use in your analysis throughout the session we will see there's actually often more than one view that you can create and I'm curious how how many you end up creating in your own uh, process mining analysis and uh, Marco you also had a question for the audience uh, to get started right sure so so my question relates uh, to basically an orthogonal problem That is, uh, what are the strategies that you typically use when uh, the event data that you want to analyze are not readily available, right? So, for example, how do you find events hidden in, the in a database? What are the strategies you use and the techniques you use for that? Great. Okay. So, yeah, let us know. And um, let's get started. So what we want to do in this session is we want to start uh, really uh, at the very basics and work ourselves towards the more complicated scenarios and cover this based on different examples that um, myself and Marco have brought um, to the session here to, to discuss this in more detail. So we start at the very, very beginning, really simple, um, by yeah, clarifying again, like with process mining, we're 
taking a process perspective on the data. And it's kind of the, the mental model or the meta model that we use to look at the data, right? The kind of the lens that we are taking to look at the data. And I think it can be illustrated nicely by uh, first looking at another meta model from, from, a, from the domain of data mining, right? So if you're looking at a very classical classification um, learning problem from the data mining space, then here, for example, you have different attributes uh, for each instance, each learning instance, and then uh, you can tell the data mining or classification algorithm what you want to learn. So this is the classification target. And then as the result, the outcome will be, uh, for example, a set of decision rules, or in this case, a decision tree that the machine learning algorithm has created. Now, with process mining, um, we're looking at processes. So the meta model is slightly different. And every row in a, in a data file like this has uh, not a full instance or a full example that we, that we can use as a learning example, but it's just one event, right? So, um, right, Marco, this is kind of what we are doing in the, in, the, in the process world is we always have kind of sequences of events that we that we interpret and here for example there are these four events that are highlighted that only together are one instance so this leads us to these three requirements that we need we need a case id an activity name and a timestamp and based on these uh, three we can then create sequences of cases um, the timestamps are used to sort the events in the right order and the uh, activities are what we see um, yeah in the in the process map. And to show this based on a very simple example, we can just look at, for example, this Excel file here where we can find back these three ingredients, right? That's what we're always looking for, case ID, activity name, timestamp. So for example, here uh, we have the case ID uh, 339, which um, is one uh, purchase order in this purchasing process. And so there have been eight rows, so eight events were performed for this uh, particular case. We have the activity name um, with the different steps that are being performed in the process, and we have two timestamps. Now, when we import this data set um, in the process tool, so here to Disco, for example, that's the first thing we need to do. We need to create a mapping to these three things. So essentially, we define how we take the process perspective on the data. And so, for example, here we say the case ID um, column here, the first one at the top has been configured as our case. Um, the activity column has been configured as activity. And then the timestamps have been configured as timestamp columns, right? And when we um, now start the import, then the process mining tool creates the process map for us. And we can start analyzing the process. And so one thing uh, we wanted to also discuss in this uh, discussion about uh, yeah, perspectives is that we have these standard formats, right, Marco, in, in the PROM world, for example, usually people work with MXML or XES as the new format now. So, yeah, we wanted to show how that works. How do you, how do you create usually the, the XES um, files, by the way? So, so and we, we will see later on a, a way to create uh, these uh, uh, with our, you know, tool chain to prepare the data. Mm -hmm. There are different techniques that you, that you can use. Uh, there are also conversion mechanisms, right? Uh, so, so, for example, in Disco, you can import uh, a CSV and then you can export it back uh, as an XCS, right? So I always like to emphasize here the fact 
that uh, having these formats is not just useful when you want to import, but it's also useful when you want to interchange, right? When you want to export and make it possible for others to use the data that you have. Uh, the other aspect that I think is, is, is very important and that you already show in this simple example is that uh, there is a clear distinction between uh, process mining uh, in its specificity, right? And data mining as a whole, which yeah. is, you see, thanks to this uh, meta model of three perspectives that you have, right? The, these uh, timestamps, the cases, and the activities, you are immediately giving a structure to this whole mess of data that you have, right? Which is uh, the, the clear starting point that we always have in any in any process mining pipelines, right? Right, yeah. And that's exactly the thing. Like people who are used to analyzing data in Excel, often they can do a lot of things in Excel, but with process mining data, they're lost quite quickly because the data is distributed over those different lines, right? And you need the case ID to string them together into like one entity of that's useful, useful uh, exactly. entity of and, and, analysis. And what I, and I always, always uh, try to emphasize, especially when I talk to novices in process mining, is that it's really this combination between timestamps and cases that is crucial here, right? Yeah. Because just by looking at the timestamp, you don't get uh, any information about uh, which event is related to which other event, right? Just the fact that they flow in time is not enough to understand how they relate. Yeah. Through the case notion instead, you can, you can start uh, understanding meaningful sequences out of what you have, right? Right, exactly. And it's, uh, yeah, in principle, it seems very simple, right? Do we have just these three things? And based on them, we take this process perspective on the data. But uh, it becomes clear that often people who are completely new to the topic, especially the case ID perspective, they find a little bit difficult to, to really understand. So it takes a little bit of practice and really getting into the thinking to, to fully understand this. Um, and it's precisely because of what you just said, Marco, right? The Timestamps exactly. and the case and, ID. And, and as I think we will see through the cafe, uh, there are some situations where it's quite clear where to start from. Mm -hmm. Other situations where, conceptually speaking, even telling what is the case, or are there multiple different types of cases that may be relevant in my analysis? Yeah. Uh, this depends a lot on the on the example at hand, right? Exactly. Yes, and we we will show some some examples for this uh, in in a moment as well. Exactly. But I think and, and those of you who are watching who are maybe more coming from the from the research side, you will be familiar with those uh, formats that we mentioned, the old one MXML and then the newer one used today XES. Um, but I think it's useful also for practitioners to briefly show because um, the advantage um, of using such a format as an especially as an interchange or exchange format is that you already include the configuration of what you see as the activity name as the case ID and, and the timestamps. And I'll show you how that works. So for example, here we have just imported the, the purchasing process from Excel as, as we've just seen. And in the lower right corner here now we can export the data in different ways, right? So I can export again the filtered data, for example, to CSV or in this case, um, yeah, well, we can look at MXML really briefly. That was the first kind of simple version. And I'll export it to the to the desktop here. It's an, uh, it's an XML-based uh, format where if we just open this in a text editor, we can see how it's structured. Um, and you will see that the, the text um, here are 
structured in such a way that we have the process instance, which is the case, right? So here, for example, we see um, the purchase order 339 that we saw in, in the Excel sheet. And it has multiple, it has some case level data, but it has multiple events. And in um, MXML, that was still called an audit trail entry. Uh, that was basically one event. And each event then has um, a name, timestamps, and, and these additional attributes associated to it. And because it's already encoded in the data, um, basically when you open a file, um, like, um, for example, this MXML file here. So if we go back to the desktop. Um, then you, yeah, you import this. And um, yeah, and you immediately have the, the process map, right? And the same thing happens when you do this with um, XCS. And XCS is the new format. Let's look at that. Um, so it's the same thing. We export it. It's also an XML-based format. Basically, some, some improvements were made uh, once the community moved from MXML to XCS. For example, it's, the typing wasn't there, right, before... Um, yeah. yeah, there was no typing of the attributes. XCS introduced that. Um, but also some other things that you can actually, through classifiers, you can have different perspectives in the in the process map. But here, yeah, if, if we look at that, it's, it's a similar concept. So we have um, a number of um, global attributes and global uh, declarations. But then once we look to a core, the core of the... The, the data set, we see a trace. So the trace is basically um, yeah, describing a case ID. And then each trace has events. And then for each event, um, you see yeah, the different information attached to it, like timestamps. Um, the concept name is usually used as the activity name. So the, this means that when you have um, data in a CSV or in an Excel file and you import the data and you make certain choices in the configuration and you want to take this one specific uh, perspective on the, the process, this one specific process view, then you can also choose to uh, give someone else who you want to look at the same process, the XCS file, for example, rather than the uh, CSV or XML file, because then yeah, they can just open the XCS file and they don't have to make any, you notice again, huh? so we don't have to make any choice in the import configuration screen here to choose what the case ID activity name timestamp is because this has already been encoded in the XCS file. So it's already there and you can immediately start analyzing. And of course, you can go to PROM or to, to the scientific tools to also um, do further analysis with this. Which can, I think, uh, again, highlights uh, two important aspects. Uh, there are different tools that may be useful to do certain different things, and these help, you know, to to, to move from one tool to the other in a very smooth way. Uh, even if you see, as you said, right, reimporting in Disco would not ask you any more these questions because they are embedded right in the in the in the file that that you have generated before. The other aspect that uh, I think is important to stress, which will probably not be the topic today. Uh, there is the problem here of uh, finding standards that are general enough to be domain independent, but configurable enough, right, to then be useful in a specific application domain. So a specific aspect of XCS that I, that I like to emphasize is uh, the extension mechanism that you have. So you can declare other attributes that go beyond the case, timestamp, and activity, that uh, you believe are crucial in your domain and, for example, need to be attached to any event that you have, 
you could declare these and then whoever opens the file at the beginning would see this declaration and would understand what to expect in the remaining part. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that's also something I think we come back to a little bit in more detail when we're talking about your uh, your semantic and ontology-based approach, right? So, but maybe before we go there, let's um, yeah, let's go back um, still basically thinking about the basics, right? So this is always what we are looking for, case ID, activity mm -hmm. name, timestamp. And if you have a file like a CSV or a yeah, database extract like that uh, from a history table, um, then you can yeah, just, you don't need to do anything. You can just import it into the postmining tool and you can start analyzing it. But sometimes um, the data is also distributed across multiple tables in a database, right, Marco? So this is an example that you brought us here. So maybe do you want to... Uh, yeah, walk us through through the example and how do you find the right ingredients here in this? So, and this is a, like a made-up example that I think is realistic enough to show the problem of trying to find events in a database, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and I think uh, many practitioners would, uh, you know, uh, need to face precisely this problem at the beginning, right? And then, then possibly when you set up a pipeline to extract this data, you can reuse it over time. But you need to understand at the beginning, where are the events located? What is the semantics of the different columns that I have in the tables? What is the scope, right? What are the relevant tables that I have? In many ERP systems, uh, tables contains uh, a lot of columns, right? So understanding which columns are relevant for the analysis and which instead are not uh, is a question on its own, right? So there have been methodologies defined to help uh, doing so. And the example is, is meant, you know, to show uh, like a, a fragment of a possible information system that you would have in an emergency ward or in a hospital. Mm -hmm. And uh, and you can immediately see uh, uh, there are tables with different colors, right? Why did I choose to do so? Uh, to immediately indicate that uh, in real scenarios, you typically are confronted not just with one database or one data storage, but with multiple, right? And how to relate them uh, may be more or less obvious depending on how many different systems you have, right? So here the green tables are meant to represent uh, like a, a relational database that is used inside the emergency world. Then there is a yellow table that is instead uh, taken from the ERP system used in the hospital. And this is because, as you may guess, uh, if you look at uh, the first column is about uh, people and the second is about the roles they play, right? Uh, so there are nurses and doctors, for example, in, in, in the case here. Uh, the red table is another table that, as we will see, becomes relevant if you want to understand really how the process of, you know, patients, doctors and nurses working in the emergency world unfolds over time. Yeah. Uh, the two central tables, as you can see, are, are, are those in the green part, right? And, uh, like, I didn't play here too complicated, but as you can imagine, even the name of these tables and the names of the columns used there may not be obvious at all, right? Yeah. So understanding what they mean is crucial here, even before asking ourselves where are the events hidden, right? Yeah, you really need domain knowledge, right, to to make sense exactly. of, of what the meaning exactly. is behind here. Yeah. And, uh, and we all know that extracting domain knowledge is a difficult process. So the question always is, uh, how can we make this a smooth process, right? So 
to interact and get enough of domain knowledge to make it possible for the analysis to start, right? Um, so, so now maybe the best way to approach this would be, let's try to look into these two green tables, right? So there is a first column in the patient's tables, uh, what is this about, this TNR, right? And then this is something that you need to ask uh, domain experts, right? And uh, the domain expert in the emergency ward would confirm these are ticket numbers, right? When a patient uh, enters in the emergency ward, uh, they automatically get a ticket that is unique for them and that is going to identify what I would call the, the whole emergency treatment that they, they will receive, right? If a patient exits and comes back, uh, they will need to get a new ticket, right? So that's uh, to disentangle the meaning of the first column. Then the second column would be a way to identify uh, the patient, uh, social security number or whatever identifier. Here I'm using the names there because it's a little bit clearer for us to read, right? And then you can immediately see two very interesting things here. In the table on the left, there are multiple columns, so in particular two, that contain a timestamp. But there is another table called operations, which contains a single timestamp, but you can immediately spot it contains also a column that is called OP, which stands for an operation that is done. So now, what can we say about these timestamps in terms of events? So the first question is, first of all, how can we relate these two tables? In this case, it's pretty obvious. So if you look into the table on the right, there is this ref column that is referencing the patient, right? So you now can see which operation refers to which patient. And now you could start thinking, okay, so there will be on the right relevant events that are generated by responsible people. That's the third column, right? Uh, in the emergency world. And these people, by the way, relate to the yellow table below. So we could start creating a connection here and uh, realize uh, that in the, in the table uh, below, the employees one, we can know what is the role that these persons are playing. So, for example, Larry is a nurse, Laura is a doctor. And we can start, you know, immediately realizing that there are activities, there are resources responsible for these activities, and there are timestamps. Yeah. And, and just to jump in here. So that's exactly what you said before, right? So as you observing, you would navigate those tables immediately. Uh, we can see how you're looking for timestamps. So the timestamps are what you're looking for to find where the activities are and you're trying to relate it to cases. So you're trying to follow where the cases go. And then the timestamps are basically the columns that you that you want to use for, for the activity steps. Exactly. And so, so then uh, the, the consequent question is, uh, does every timestamp simply indicate a relevant event or not? And mm -hmm. the purpose of this example is to show that things may be much less obvious than they seem, right? So let's for a moment just take a look at the table on the left. Uh, so forgetting for a moment the operation, right? So here we have two columns. Uh, why do we have two columns with two timestamps? That's a typical pattern that you can see also in uh, document-driven ERP systems to represent different phases, right? There are phases in which uh, a document is, or in this case, a patient is, and uh, when uh, the patient moves from one phase in the process to another, there is a transition that is marked by a timestamp. Yeah. Okay, so now, now the obvious interpretation could be, ah, okay, the first column is marking 
the distinction between somebody that is outside from the emergency ward that now enters and becomes an actual patient of the emergency ward. So which would highlight an event of the patient that is entering, right? And so far, so good, I would say. So now, what about the second column? Just take a look for a moment uh, at it, right? So You mean the exited column? or Exactly, exactly. Thanks mm -hmm. for pointing this out. So now you can see, sometimes there is a, uh, a value there, sometimes there is no value. So now, an obvious interpretation may be, oh, okay, when, when there is a value, it means that a person is going out from the emergency ward, right? And when, the, when there is no value, it means the patient is still there. Which, you see, already is making up a lot of uh, domain knowledge assumptions about uh, the world. And, uh, and you, you see also the risk of that, right? I'm, typically, people put their own bias in the interpretation of this data, which sometimes is okay, sometimes is absolutely not. Yeah. Uh, so, so now, let's, let's uh, take a look at two patients in particular, right? So there is Alice. Alice entered at Monday, 5 p.m., and exited on Monday, 8, 20 p.m. And now, if you want to drill down and look what happened in between, there is a moment where we have to look in the table on the right. And there are, there are distinct operations. So you can also see different patterns or, of recording events now. There is an enter event that is by column without any specific naming there. And now there are multiple events organized by rows in a different table, each having a, a dedicated timestamp. And so by looking uh, with this uh, intuition into the table on the right, we could uh, spot that uh, uh, Alice went through a triage. There, there, there was a visit by Laura, a visit by Liam, and then there was a checkout done by Louise, who is a different nurse, and you can also see, uh, which sometimes may be chance, sometimes may be meaningful, that the checkout time exactly coincides with the exited time that you have in the table on the left. This would be a question for the domain expert. Why is this happening? And then uh, you could uh, you know, drill down and here understand that uh, this is because when a person checks out, that corresponding timestamp is simply copy-pasted into the table on the left so that you can directly access this without navigating from a table to another table. And, and you know, this may be because it's rele relevant for the domain knowledge, but could also be a decision of some uh, software engineer uh, done for uh, reasons that are related to the IT infrastructure, not really to the domain, which is yet another problem to disentangle here. Yeah. Uh, so, so now we can move to the second patient. Now, you see, the second patient, from the perspective of the table on the left, the patient's one, appear to be uh, pretty similar to the other one, right? So you would expect now to find in the table about patients a checkout at some point, but uh, it doesn't exist instead. So why is that the case then? Uh, let's first look at what is happening in the operation table. There is simply a triage and nothing else. But we know from the patient's table on the left that at Monday 9 p.m., this person went out apparently, right? If that's the interpretation we give to the exited column in the patient's table. And now let's reconstruct what happened here for Bob. So Bob entered, was subject to a triage, and uh, during the triage, 
uh, he received an emergency level. That's what is uh, stored in the level column in the patient's table. And uh, what does W stands for? Again, is a problem for domain experts. This will be white code. So basically means uh, a non-emergency case. And that's why probably Bob was not subject to any other treatment for a while because there were, you know, more urgent stuff to do uh, in, the, in the emergency world. And uh, now, uh, if we interact with domain experts, we would discover the fact that at 9 p.m. we give a value to the exited column for Bob in the table on the left is because Bob left the emergency ward by bringing the ticket back to a machine that would open the door and he would exit. So now you see that we have uh, two different, uh, radically different from the semantical perspective, events to terminate this process. One was a, a checkout done by a nurse with a patient, and one is an action done by the patient alone. And it would not be obvious to see this, right? Yeah. Uh, so now we can move to the, to, the, to the third patient, Chloe. Just to complicate the situation even more. So if we apply now reasoning uh, like uh, uh, in a contrapositive way to what we were doing before, the fact that for Chloe there is null in the exited column could be interpreted by saying, look, uh, she's still in the emergency world, right? Because we have null there, so we don't have a value. Instead, the situation is more complicated. So what happened for, for Chloe, and you can see now it is in the table on the right, there was a triage. Now go back to the level. She got a red level, which means high emergency. There was, in fact, a, a visit done by a doctor soon afterwards. And then nothing happens in the operation table. But if we now look in the red table above, this transfer table, we could now see that there is an entry there, which actually refers to Chloe indirectly, because it actually refers to the ticket that Chloe got, and uh, is, uh, you know, an additional activity that is carried out, actually a bunch of activities, not just one, because what happened is that uh, during the visit, Laura, the doctor, noticed that uh, Chloe simply has a broken leg. So she needs to be transferred to a department where the broken leg can be treated. There is no point in keeping her in the emergency ward. So now you see, uh, we can only realize this by looking in the table uh, transfer uh, in, in the red part. And there you can see that there is a signature time, sick time, where the doctor is signing a transfer. And then there is an actual time for transferring from the emergency ward to this other department. And then, uh, from the semantical perspective, also Chloe exited from the emergency ward. We have uh, not uh, uh, tracked a timestamp in the exited column because she's still in the hospital. And this was, again, a decision that we cannot really, uh, you know, change because what we are looking into is a legacy system that is used in the hospital. So there is no way we can fix that if we don't like the way data are stored, but there is a way for us to properly understand. Okay, so now we have, uh, you know, a case of three different patients. All these patients exited from the emergency ward, but for three completely different reasons that we would need to track if we want them to apply process mining properly on top of that and understand the different ending states of the process. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it really shows like that you have to understand the process, but also the choices that were made 
when those systems were set up, right? And like you said, they, often it's not one system, but you have to pull out these pieces of information out of different systems and then piece it together. And exactly. Yeah. And the bottom rule, Anna, again, let me repeat that, is that you see there is a lot here going on in terms of domain expertise, but also IT understanding of how systems have been developed and how data are stored, yeah. which makes the situation even more hard to disentangle, right? Yeah, exactly. So as a process so miner, you have to work with the domain expert and the IT specialist. Exactly. Is uh, you know, it's like bridging these two aspects in a way, right? Yeah. And yeah. you need to be able to talk with both. It is not easy. So now just to briefly conclude this example, because I think we are close to the end of this of this part. If we go back to the tables, we can see briefly what happens for the other two patients, right? So these two, uh, these two patients are both patients that are still in the emergency ward. So they are now, you know, related to still running cases which I think is also an important aspect to distinguish, right? Because when we apply process mining, we look into the state of affairs as it is now and historically recorded in, uh, in uh, one or more information systems, mm -hmm. but uh, typically in a situation where the process is still running, right? So we need to be able to distinguish between running cases for which the future is still unknown from complete cases uh, for which uh, uh, everything is known, basically. Yeah. And, uh, and now you see uh, in, in the table there are two different uh, cases. Uh, David has a null in the exited column because uh, he is simply waiting to be visited. He was already subject to a triage and in fact he has assigned an emergency level. Alice instead, which is the very last example, is a case of a person who basically just entered in the emergency ward she doesn't have any corresponding operation because she's still waiting for the first that is the triage. And you can see this indirectly because if you look at the column called level in the patient's table, she doesn't have even an emergency level attached. Yeah. And so you can, you, you see, reconstruct, if you like, also the current state where patients are with respect to the emergency ward only by looking into all this combination of columns, rows, different tables, and presence or absence of null, null values. Yeah, exactly. Great. Thanks a lot. I think this yeah, really shows like we're still uh, at, yeah, at the end of the basically look talking about the basics, right? Where we are uh, trying to find um, the process mining information, the case ID, activity name, and timestamp, um, either in a file or in, in a database, and we have to piece things together. Uh, but yeah, already here we can see yeah we might need to understand quite a bit about the underlying process and the systems and how they fit together to be able to do that. But so that I think brings us to the to the next segment where we want to talk about that. Yeah, you can often actually not look at the, the data just from one perspective, but there are almost always uh, multiple perspectives possible through multiple process views that you can take on the data, right? And um, uh, yeah. Absolutely, Anna. And, and even before you show the example, yes. already in this emergency world, you could now see, do I take the perspective of a patient? Do I want to look into just the emergency world or also the other departments? Do I want to look into what doctors do? Yeah. It is a full problem on its own. 
Yes, exactly. What's the scope, but also from which perspective, right? Looking from the perspective of a doctor is very different from looking from the perspective of a patient. And I think that's also something we can see here. Um, yeah, in, in the in the purchasing process example, let's look at that first. So if we go back um, yeah, to the to the purchasing process, when we imported that, we were really looking at the sequence of steps that are happening um, yeah, for each purchase order, right? So we, if we zoom in a little bit, we can see create purchase requisition, analyze purchase requisition, and then ultimately there's an invoice being created and sent out, right? So we are really looking at the flow of activities that is happening. But we could also do um, yeah, something different when we are looking at the um, yeah, at, at the the way when we configured the data when we imported it initially, we can also say rather than looking at um, the sequences of of steps from an activity perspective, we actually want to see how work is being. Uh, handed over between different departments or different organizational units or teams, right? So here we have the role of the person performing the step. Um, and by switching what we see as the activity name, we can take that perspective. So we we switch what we see as an activity and this brings us for the same process and even for the same data set to a different view where we don't see the, the detailed steps like uh, what the individual activities are, but what we are in instead seeing is the handover of work between the organizational units. So for example, here we can then see ping pong behavior between different teams or maybe inefficiencies where maybe one group wasn't responsible anymore, the other one wasn't responsible yet, so things get lost in between, right? So you, you really yeah, take a different view, but both are are valid perspectives of the same, yeah, of the same process of the same data set, and so I want to look at another example here. So where I first want to show you just the the data set. So that's often what you also need to do as a process miner when you get a hand, someone hands you a data set or you get an export back from the IT department and you want to analyze it with the process mining tool you have to look at that data and you have to decide what is what are you going to configure as the case ID activity name timestamp right so if we if we look at the the example on the slide um, this is a data set from um, from a, a CRM system. So it's a Siebel CRM system uh, from a call center. And um, yeah, there's different fields, right? So for example, we have the field of the service ID. That's basically the ticket number or the uh, service request number from the, from the customer. And then we have the different steps that uh, the agent is doing. And then we have different timestamps and additional attributes. So, yeah, I think most of you looking at this uh, will see quickly that you can take different views on this. And so maybe one of the most common views that people initially would take is um, that they use the ticket number. So the CRM service request number is a case ID. Then the uh, action that the call center agent takes as the activity name and then the, the two timestamps. So if we if we do that uh, here in, in Disco, we can look at that. We get a very... Um, yeah, very clear view of this call center process. So we open the file. Uh, we have a few attributes here with um, different types of products, different service types, for example. And then we have, this is our case ID. So the service ID, the ticket number. Then we have our operation as the activity name and the timestamps, just like we, we have decided uh, just before. So when we import this data set, we have 
an overview. It's a simplified overview of the of the process where we see six different activities are happening here, right? And most of the the call center tickets are started with an inbound call, which is quite logical because it's a it's a call center, right? So we can we can see that and that makes sense. But maybe now as a next step, we would like to know well how often do we actually escalate. Um, calls that are coming in into the first level support team to a back office specialist. And in fact, we have that information in the data. So all we need to do is basically go back. And um, this is um, this particular column here, which is called agent position. And uh, when it says FL, this means it's a first level support activity. And sometimes a little bit less frequently, uh, we can find one here. It says BL. So BL are the backliners. These are back Uh, office specialist and what we can do here is a little bit different from what we did before we are not switching completely from the activity perspective of one column to another column but we keep the operation as our activity column but we include the agent position as well so we also configure the agent position as an activity and you can see now here the little uh, activity symbol shows up in in both of the columns right so what happens is very simple when we import the data both of those will be combined or concatenated together and this leads us to a more detailed view on the process so i'll show you how, how this looks like when we import it um, we can see that now instead of six activities we have a more detailed view of the process where we have unfolded um, the activities depending on whether they are happening in the first level support or in the in the back office team and and as a consequence for example we can see out of all the calls that are coming in into the first level support <coughs> team here 152 times we are escalating it to this particular back office activity right so this is something where you can combine as many fields and uh, attributes together to basically determine what you see as the activity and that's like one piece of the perspective um, that you can take but we can do this even there's also there's also an uh, yes. maybe tells us two interesting things right uh, that you just showed mm -hmm. so, so so one is the fact that uh, there is no such a notion of activity right yeah so there, there is a notion of activity that you can refine right and here you refined by considering uh, the same activity in the context of front-end or back-end management, right, uh, for the call. Um, and at the same time, it shows that this leads to the fact that there is no such a model here. There are multiple models that reflect different viewpoints. And it's like, you know, when you enter a cave, the cave is completely black. You start, you know, looking around and you see slices of that, And then you can, by combining them, you can get a fair view of reality, right? So, so I think it's always important to stress uh, that there is never a single model here and uh, that it's important to look into the, the, the data from different perspectives, different granularities, but then it's also important to understand how they relate to each other, right? Because we don't want to just have scattered views. We want to really relate them to each other. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, that's such an important point. And I think that's something that people who are who are new sometimes fall into that trap a little bit that um, they try to find the the right view, right? Or the, the right model, like what's the correct view or the correct model to configure? Absolutely. And, yeah. and that's something really important, like you just said. So, yes. And so we have seen an example just now based on the activities, but I wanted to briefly also show one um, based on the... 
uh, cases. So here we yeah, we just looked at that. But the same call center example, we could also have actually multiple candidates for a case ID, right? So we have the ticket number, which is the scope of, a, of the service request. Uh, but the same customer can call multiple times or can call about different things. So there could be multiple support tickets for the same customer. And we see that actually here uh, in this example. So customer three um, has actually three different tickets associated. Um, so depending on which perspective you choose, you have uh, yeah, a different scope of the process. So while the activity names determine the level of detail and the granularity and what determine what you see as the steps that are shown in the, in the process flows, the case ID determines what's the scope, like where does the process start and where does it stop. And um, mm -hmm. so, a nice example for what, yeah, what kind of impact that can have is from uh, from a, yeah an, an analysis that they actually did in a call center. In I have I have a picture here from this from this analysis uh, at an Irish internet company. And um, the process in, in this analysis, they, let, uh, they looked at their support process, but just as the contact methods that people um, that the people chose, right? Whether they contacted them per email or uh, through the phone or chat was a very new mechanism on the website uh, available back then. And um, what they were analyzing, and it's quite a common metric that people use in call centers, is that they look at first call resolution rate. So they want to know if whether the people who are calling, whether they have resolved the problem uh, in the first call or did they have to call back again to, to resolve the problem. Uh, and initially, the numbers looked really great. So they had a 98% first call resolution rate. So almost nobody had to call back uh, for 21,000 um, tickets. And then they noticed that almost no tickets are ever reopened again, right? And uh, it had a little bit to do also based on the, the way that people were measured. So the performance and the measurements were really based on this first call resolution rate. So in a way, it leads people to open a new ticket, even if the same person is calling back, which at the same time is very bad practice for the quality of the customer service because the person has to um, give all the details again, right? And um, has to go through the whole process again. And also it doesn't give the customer service department the true view on, 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 the, on the state of the problem. So uh, what they did once they noticed that this was happening is that they chose uh, the different perspectives. So essentially they were doing exactly what we were saying before, choosing like the case ID uh, to be not the ticket number, but in this case, the customer ID. And then once they did that, they noticed that well, more than um, uh, 3000 uh, calls that came in were actually repeat calls and they were counted as, as new tickets, right? So so that's like one little example, but it shows yeah, how you can look at yeah, not just the, the activities, but also the case and what the case scope is in, in different ways. And yeah, as the last one, also for case IDs, you can combine things, right? So for example, if you want to look at the customer level and say, well, I want to count each customer as a case. But if the customer calls about a different product, you want to see it as a different case, then you can mm -hmm. combine the customer and the product. And this unique combination is the case scope that, that you want to look at. Yeah, and it's amazing, Dan, to, to think about uh, how many insights you can get by just weeping, even with this you know, very related perspective, I would say, right? So yeah. move, moving from the service ID to the to the customer ID gave uh, to these people the possibility of understanding, right, uh, about what was go going on really. But you could use the same trick, for example, to understand 
can the same customer like uh, trigger multiple instances of the process in parallel? Or are they always sequential, right? Like uh, when I open a ticket, uh, I don't have uh, typically other tickets uh, uh, going around, right? In one case, you will get a model that uh, appears very similar to the one where you have uh, the service ID as a case, with the yeah. only difference that then you would, you would look back, right? Because you can open a new one later on. If yeah. instead there is concurrency, you would see a, a lot of, of, of differences right in the two perspectives because you would have multiple running services in the same uh, time frame for the same customer, which would lead to a different visualization, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And again, it's not there's not like one right perspective, but often you actually need to have multiple views and interpret them all together to get the full picture of, of what's really going on. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, so these different possibilities to interpret and to take these different perspectives, that's something that you also encounter then in, in your example, right? When you are looking at that data and you want to assign it case ID activity names, and so on, then you also Absolutely. have more than one one way. So so can you can you explain a little bit like how 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 you do this and also like the method that you have in, in this approach? Sure. So so Anne, uh, if you think about the, the game we played uh, some minutes ago on these tables, right? Mm -hmm. We were playing a game that is actually important regardless of process mining, which is about understanding the meaning of the data, right? Yeah. And uh, there is an entire area uh, which is called ontology-based data access, where what you try to do is uh, playing the game that we were playing before, but now transforming these into actual software artifacts that you can use then to interact with uh, this database with unclear uh, information in such a way that you can get the information that you want to have, right? Yeah. And, Maybe uh, can can you explain what an ontology is for people who don't who don't know about Absolutely. That? So so then uh, then how does this approach work? Uh? When you know we were discussing before, ah there are patients, uh, there are timestamps, uh, a patient has a name, uh, there are doctors and nurses, doctors are responsible for doing visits, uh, a visit is done for a patient within an emergency treatment. All this discussion that we had uh, can be transformed into what is called an ontology. Or if you like a different terms, you could call it a reference model or you could call it a conceptual data model. There are many different words that are actually synonyms or they contain differences depending on the reference community you are talking to. But in general, what these models are meant to capture are the main relevant concepts that you have in your domain and the main relevant relationships that glue them together, right? Um, so, so, for example, you, you may have that uh, uh, a person has a social security number. This is a very simple uh, element that you would like to represent in such a model. The fact that among the persons you have doctors and you have nurses, this would be uh, the, the creation of a hierarchy, right, in your, in your, in your ontology. The fact that uh, patients go, or persons in general, go through one or more emergency treatments, this would be a relation, right, that, that, that exists between the notion of emergency treatment and the notion of a patient, a binary relation in this case. So ontologies are meant to explicitly capture this conceptualization that you build inside your head when trying to understand the semantics of a domain of interest. Um, so if, uh, if you take a look again at, at, at the example I was showing, um, 
uh, now you could start from uh, these uh, um, data lake, right, organized into tables, uh, and try to construct what we were talking about before. And what you can see in the upper part is a representation of an ontology using uh, a standard uh, modeling language that is called, uh, in this case, UML class diagram, right? Mm -hmm. So I think uh, probably many people in the audience have for sure seen UML more in the context of uh, software documentation, right, for object-oriented uh, typically uh, systems. Uh, instead, we also use uh, UML class diagrams to capture basically uh, this domain knowledge uh, that uh, we discussed before, right? And so if you now take a brief look at the diagram that you see on top, you can see that, uh, you know, these uh, relevant concepts or called classes here are represented using these boxes, right? Inside these boxes, there is the name of the class and there are different attributes. Uh, and then there are, you know, connections between these boxes that are meant to represent uh, different types of uh, relationships or in UML, they are called associations. Mm -hmm. um, for example, the fact that uh, a person is subject uh, to an emergency treatment is represented with this line connecting the two boxes above. And we can, you know, go and refine this further and further. So, for example, we can say that uh, each uh, person may undergo multiple treatments. You see this asterisk uh, close to treatment for this uh, uh, relationship to witness that. Whereas, on the other hand, every emergency treatment is for one and only one person. And this is witnessed by the small one that you see close to person. And this, you see, just the starting point. There are approaches that uh, help you coming up with these models. There are approaches that uh, try to semi-bootstrap these from the data. Uh, we are also working on this with, with various people. There is an entire field uh, uh, related to formal ontologies and information systems where you try to give guidelines to properly come up with these models and so on and so forth. Yeah. So yeah. that would be the first step that you have to do, because even before starting to, to, to understand which perspective to take, you have to clarify where are the events, what do the events mean, what is the semantics of, uh, of what we had before just in these flat tables. Yeah. So if I understand you correctly, it's really like um, capturing the domain knowledge and the meaning and the semantics of... Um, yeah, the process exactly. Uh, exactly. In, in that ontology. And that's exactly. the basis then for the next step. Th that's the basis. Then there is a second aspect that is not typically done, but that instead we do in ontology-based data access, which is uh, not just, you know, providing this ontology as a way to understand the domain under study, but we also clearly relate it to the underlying database structure or to the underlying data storage. And this is done with something that in the slide you don't see, but uh, there is a, a component in the system that is called a mapping that basically relates uh, declaratively the tables, columns uh, that you have in the database schema to the corresponding uh, concepts that you have uh, in the UML class diagram above. Mm -hmm. Sometimes this mapping is very simple. So, for example, by looking... Uh, in the employee tables, you can, you can simply get all the nurses and the doctors. That would be a very simple mapping. Mm -hmm. But if you remember what we just said about uh, completing a treatment uh, by abandoning uh, autonomously the, the emergency ward by the patient uh, or by a checkout, etc., this would require to write uh, more complex SQL queries on the database 
to isolate uh, and get back the data that refer, for example, to those treatments that have been checked out. And uh, in a mapping, you basically do this systematically and explicitly. So you have uh, basically a set of rules uh, that relate SQL queries over the database to concepts and relationships in the ontologies, in the, in the ontology, to witness precisely how you map the data into the ontology. That would be the, the thing that you, that you miss uh, that in this slide is not, is not shown. Yeah, we, we don't show that. Yeah. But that's the first step. And then the second step? Now, the second step is, uh, once you have done this, uh, and uh, let me say, this may be more or less, uh, you know, manual and human intensive, depending on whether it's the first time you do that, depending on whether the ontology is something that you have never seen before, could be instead much more practical. For example, if you are talking about ERPs, right, by moving from one ERP to the other, there are concepts that are pretty much similar. So you would need to adjust what you have uh, designed before. But the, the, the important bit to stress is after you have been doing this uh, initial phase, from now on, you can forget about the data the way they are stored and you can just focus on the ontology. And you can imagine that by magic, and this is what ontology-based data access systems do, you can in fact see the data that are presented in the database like they were represented directly at the level of the, of the, of the ontology. So you would have basically a knowledge graph whose labels are those that we have modeled in, in the ontology that represents in a faithful way the data that that are presented in the database. Yeah. So you can forget and just focus on the, on the, on the, on the ontology above. Yeah, so and we now, can look at that in the example now, yes. And now the, pro the point is, uh, play the game that you played before, but in such, you know, a more complicated setting, right? And so first of all, you need to ask yourself, where is my entry point in this uh, uh, diagram or in this ontology to understand what are the relevant cases for me? What is the lens that I want to apply to glue together events uh, along cases? And, and here you can take many different perspectives as you were arguing already before. The most obvious here would be, let's focus on emergency treatments, right? The moment where the patient enters and gets a ticket triggers a new instance of this process, which then gets concluded when the treatment is completed. And we have been seeing different ways of completing the treatment, right? So if that's the perspective we want to take, then we can imagine simply to decorate this ontology by pinpointing what is the class that provides the basis to understand about the cases. And then we have to do a little bit uh, one step more. You have to tell me how to identify these cases. Uh, so in particular here, We, we need to, to say that to identify a case, we need simply to pick the ticket attribute of the emergency treatment. As we said before, every emergency treatment will have a ticket number. This provides us the basis to identify how to relate events together in different cases. In, in, sorry, in the same case. And this is what you see in the red, in the red annotation. Once you have done this, all the rest is uh, by trying to understand uh, where are the events. But whenever you ask to yourself uh, this question, you have also to answer a related question, which is, uh, how do I connect this event to the corresponding case notion, right? Yeah. I can navigate these relationships 
in multiple different ways, right? So imagine, for example, there is, uh, you know, a doctor carrying out a visit and another doctor validating a visit. So now, do you want to navigate the first relation or the second one? That's uh, what you have to, to, to also ask yourself when you are trying to identify the relevant events, because they will determine different ways of relating them to a case or another. So if you go back to the, to the example, one uh, you know, event that would come up immediately to our mind is the enter, right? The enter moment of the patient. And this is very simple to do, is the annotation that you see in the top right. It's on the same class that is telling us what are the cases. And there is there the timestamp about the starting time of the treatment. This is the timestamp that is telling me directly about the event of entering for a patient. So now you can declare this. And that's what you also have in a tool chain that we created for doing so, that is called OnProm. You would need to, you know, create this annotation and then provide a bunch of additional information. The first would be, what is the name of the event? In this case, we code it manually. We say the name of this event that I'm declaring now is enter. Second question would be, what is the timestamp that I use to understand different occurrences of this event? In this case, it's very easy is on the same class to which we apply the annotation and is the start time timestamp. Third question, uh, how do you reach the case? Uh, in this case, the case is already that class, so we don't need to do anything. It's simply the same class. Uh, if you want to ask yourself about, uh, I also want to know who is the, the responsible person for this event. Now the situation gets a little bit more complicated because uh, an emergency treatment is not an actor, right? You need to reach an actor in the process. And now you can see, however, uh, there, there was this relationship, right, that we commented about before, the fact that a person is subject to an emergency treatment, now the emergency treatment can navigate this relationship backwards and get the person to which this is attached. So now is that person that determines the fact that there is an event for entering. And now you see you can play this game on over and over again, and you can start identifying uh, what are the uh, completion events of the process. And here we enter in all, uh, you know, what we said before about the different types of conclusions. There is a, an autonomous exit, there is a checkout, there is a, a transfer, and when there is the transfer, as we commented before, you could also see that uh, that is the only part uh, of all this setting where we know that a patient exited from the emergency ward and we also know when the patient entered into the other department. So there we could also do this twofold annotation to mark uh, the initial moment of the activity and the final moment of the activity. And, uh, and then we could also go in the intermediate events to declare that uh, between the moment of entering and exiting, uh, there are various things that happen, right? There is a triage done by a nurse on a treatment that relates to the patient. There is a visit done by a doctor in the contents of an, of an ongoing treatment that relates to the patient. And there is also the fact that a doctor is the one responsible for transferring patients. And before the actual transfer, there is a moment where the doctor signs a document. This could also be an event, right? Because it's relevant to know, for example, 
how much time it passed between the moment where the doctor said with a signature, please transfer this patient to the moment where the patient actually moved to the other department. And you would like to understand the delay there. So what you see with perspectives, it also comes the question of scope. What is relevant and what not? And here we can control this by deciding what timestamps are annotated and which timestamps are not annotated. Yeah. And it's basically going back to what we said before, right? That you're looking for timestamps in the in the tables that you have in the yeah, in, in, in the overall IT system and then you see which ones you include in terms of scope and how to relate them to the to the case ID. Uh, absolutely, Anne. And in fact, uh, this is the approach that we took. If you have tables uh, that do not have timestamps but still refer to events, this is all also very relevant. We haven't studied that. So for us, timestamps are basically the entry point to understand where to chase for these events, right? Where, yeah. where they can be found. Exactly. And also you mentioned uh, the tool chain that you're developing, right? So it's a research prototype that you are, uh, that you mm -hmm. have built. And also uh, there was a question in the chat, uh, how this ontology can be created. And that's part of the, the research prototype. And we will uh, link everything like uh, what we are discussing here in the session as always we will um, we will send you these links later when we publish the recording so you can follow those mm -hmm. links and you can you can try it out yourself if you want yeah thanks Anna I, I can add just uh, a bit on that so as we have commented this tool chain is done in two phases right the first is about connecting the low level data to the ontology the second is uh, to you annotate the ontology with the perspective and the scope, right? The first part is actually something that pertains ontology-based access as a whole. So we import uh, their techniques that are already existing in terms of toolings. Uh, I can also mention that in Bolzano, there is uh, one of the most uh, uh, widely used uh, uh, open source uh, academic systems that is also adopted by companies for ontology-based access. Uh, there is also a company here in Bolzano that we founded uh, on that uh, on that specific topic. What OnProm adds uh, is all this process mining uh, orientation on top of that. Uh, so you can find in the tool chain uh, a, a tool to design the ontology, but also to annotate it, which is the second step uh, that we just commented about. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. And now I think we come to the last part of um, this example, where also here you can actually take different perspectives, right? Absolutely. So who told us, uh, Anne, that we have to pick emergency treatments here as a case? Why don't we look, for example, into what doctors do? Uh, so now, this is pretty interesting here because doctors play in general two for the role, right? They are having a specific role in the hospital and in our scope in the emergency ward, But they are also persons, right? So they could be very well patients as well. And this is again about the scoping, right? So I would like now, for example, to, to declare, look, I want to take the perspective of doctors. So each case now for me is a doctor that mm -hmm. is working in the emergency world. Then only some events may be relevant, right? I'm just looking at, at doctors because they are actors responsible for certain uh, treatment steps within the emergency treatments, that would simply mean uh, to, you know, first of all, pinpoint that now 
our case notion is the doctor class, and then say we are only interested in those events that happen in the emergency world for which the doctor is the responsible actor. Right. Which, uh, according to what we already discussed before, in this case are simply two events. There is uh, the event related to the fact that I'm that the doctor is carrying a visit and the fact that the doctor is uh, transferring a decision. Uh, so, so obviously, uh, sometimes I'm using a little bit confusing terms. Uh, these are activities, uh, but what we have here is just the completion timestamp for those activities. So that's why we make these two terms coinciding, right? But uh, the reality would be more complicated, right? A visit would take time and uh, mm-hmm. could be interrupted and resumed. There could be a whole life cycle there, right? With different uh, transactional events. Uh, and 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 if you if you, if you take that perspective now, that is uh, the annotation schema you would come up with, right? Doctors visit and uh, and decide about uh, about uh, transfers of patient. How do you get the case here? Simply navigating the corresponding relations to get the doctor that is uh, the the one doing uh, doing these activities. But as we said, uh, Anne, that's the the last way of annotating these. uh, There are many more, obviously, right? You could also imagine now, and this would become really very relevant, I would say, that doctors themselves could be patients because they need to to be supported by other doctors because they have an emergency, right? Suppose that, uh, you know, there is uh, Laura, the doctor that we were talking about before, is now the weekend, she is going skiing, and she has an accident. She now enters in the emergency ward, but she's now a patient, right? So now you can see that there are activities that pertain the doctor while the doctor is on work, and activities that pertain the doctor, because the doctor is a person like everybody else, and sometimes uh, uh, they may need to, 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 to undergo an emergency treatment. Yeah. And uh, you, you see now, obviously, the situation becomes more and more complicated. I want just to highlight, uh, again, the two events uh, of visit and transfer decision. You can now annotate these in two ways. Are you talking about a visit carried out by law or are you talking about a visit where law is the patient yeah this would be two different events or they are the same event but the way they relate to the case is different because in one situation you have to navigate the relation that is telling you who is the responsible doctor for doing the visit in the other case the the way of referring to the case sorry for you know overriding the, the term case here would be navigating uh, not uh, on the direction of who is the doctor doing the visit but who is the patient receiving the visit which may be very well a doctor so these two navigations determine that the event is associated to one case or another and this gives you then a, a full complexity of of what you are talking about Right, right, and so, 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 so you have these two steps so far, right? We you have created the the model, and then the second step was annotating the model with the perspective, and we have seen here that we can ha- have different perspectives. And now the third step is really easy, right? Because what you can do from this tool chain now is you can just export based on the chosen perspective. Uh, you can just export it as XES. 
Uh, exactly, exactly. So now on, we, we don't have time to talk about uh, these more technical aspects. They would probably require, you know, a session on their own. But with this tool chain, you can actually do more in the sense that uh, the paradigm of ontology-based data access can be used in two uh, different modes. The first mode is the one that you said. You can uh, push a button and you can materialize the data the way you, you like. Uh, in standard ontology-based data access, that would be you materialize the knowledge graph at the level of the domain ontology. Now, with our tool chain, we do a step more. We take this knowledge graph and according to the annotation, we represent it in, in XS, in XCS that you have been showing before. That is the first mode. The second mode would be you can also not materialize the data at all. You can now pose queries like, for example, give me all the events uh, related uh, to a doctor who was working uh, on the weekend in 2021. This you could formulate as a semantic query on top of your uh, ontology. And then what, uh, uh, what uh, OnProm could do for you would uh, go into the database and apply these ontology-based data access techniques to retrieve the data and reconvert the data into a semantic answer. So it's like, you know, the, the knowledge graph is now virtual. You don't have yeah. materialized it, but it's like it is there. Yeah, it's something that in general, right, when people work with ontologies, that's like one thing that they that they can do is that they ask queries and kind of do some reasoning on the level of, of the ontology or through the ontology on the data, right? But I think also this first aspect that you mentioned, I think that could be really useful for someone who's kind of uh, working through this approach, um, basically establishing this kind of layer of meaning on their database structure and then taking these different perspectives, doing these annotations. And we briefly wanted to show you just to close the, the cycle, right, this last step, because in Disco here now we have created these uh, XES files from from basically the example that Mark would just shown. And the first perspective was the one with the five patients. So this is the, the XES that was exported here um, that we made. And so, yeah, well, that's the, the process map uh, for that, but also it's easier here in this case just to look at the cases, right? So here we see exactly these five cases that we have seen in the table uh, in, in the example where exactly. uh, all the events related to each patient here end up in, yeah, in, in, in this case. And, and, and it's like you said, right, Anne, after you do this process of mapping and annotation, then it's just automatic generation from the database. So you don't have to write a single line of ETL procedures or, or SQL or whatever, right? Uh, it's already done. Yeah, and the perspective is already taken, right? So it's it's in a way you move the complexity to a, to a different place, right? It's not exactly. in this place, but you have moved it kind of in the modeling. So it depends also like where people are comfortable, right? Where you want to make it easy. So here you have more work on the data preparation side. But once you have exported the file, like we have seen, we didn't even need to choose any kind of perspective if we open exactly. the other XES file. So that's the doctor's perspective. That's the, the second perspective that we uh, have seen. Uh, so here now, we have two cases and one uh, as a sample, right? One for Laura and one for Liam. And mm -hmm. so this is kind of the other perspective. So it comes out already in the perspective that exactly. you've chosen. And, and that's exactly. that's the end of that. But now, um, one thing I wanted to just briefly add on, yes. because you said uh, correctly, right, uh, is complexity 
exist, right? So we can try to move it around, but it's there. Yeah. So many people are a little bit scared when they see these about the ontology construction and the mapping to the database, whereas they are very well, you know, typically receiving this annotation part. Mm-hmm. So now uh, we have again to repeat, uh, this has to be done manually only if you have a very complex case. So, for example, if your database is already at a good level of abstraction, right, or maybe you already have a documentation in terms of an ER diagram or so, you could basically reuse what you already have. You could even, uh, you know, semi-automatically generate uh, all the first phase. In some cases, you can do it fully automatically. In some other cases, you need just a little bit of a manual intervention. And we're also working, you know, on uh, techniques to bootstrap automatically these, these mappings or at least give suggestions. So there is a whole, you know, bunch of more simplified setting where, where you could still benefit from this uh, tool chain without needing to getting exposed to the, to the full complexity. Uh, for example, with Mika Jans, we are looking into what happens if you look not into a legacy database, but an ERP system, a document-driven one. Yeah. Then the, 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 the thing is much more simpler in terms of instrumenting all this, uh, all this pipeline. Yeah, exactly. No, that's that's great, and yeah, that's exactly yeah right. What you just said, right? So the, I think that's a yeah really important point. So the complexity is there, so you have to choose where you want to put it, and um, yeah, that's also we we don't have that much time left. But there were two um, things a little bit in the same. Um, Uh, in the same topic of complexity and how to deal with it uh, that we also wanted to briefly cover here in the, in the context of perspectives because if we if we go um, to a simple example that I want to show uh, we wanted to briefly touch on the topic of yeah basically many-to-many relationships or multi-perspectives it's also called right and we, we picked a very simple example to illustrate why why that's relevant and so if you imagine here um, that on the left side you have some entities um, that are part of this process but they yeah are not they are not in a one-to-one relationship so for example you have a sales order that can be delivered and then in the end there's an invoice but in this uh, example we have one order one sales order uh, and for some reason it was delivered in two pieces it was a split delivery maybe one part of the order was already available the other part was not available so um, for simplicity we have one invoice right so when you have a, a, a data structure like that and you want to analyze it with process mining you have have to put it into yeah in the community we sometimes call it flattened reality right so you have to put it into kind of columns and rows uh, to import it into the post mining tool and you have to choose what the case id activity name timestamps are so we have to create uh, a f- yeah a flat file a, a data set from it so if we do this here it's maybe still relatively intuitive we use we are looking at from the sales order perspective so the sales order id is our case id uh, and then we have the events that relate to that and then the outcome would be a process map like shown on the right okay so this is still relatively uh, um, yeah easy perhaps but if we turn this around becomes more complicated because now if we look at the same example and then we see now we have two orders so there were two sales orders so we have two cases we're still looking from the sales order perspective but for some reason they are combined into one delivery one package right maybe they go to the same customer so um, yeah both orders are fulfilled through this one delivery in the same package and for simplicity we keep two separate invoices because there were two separate orders so when we are making the data 
data set for that and we are trying to make a one-to-one relationship, then maybe we would use yeah, the delivery which is associated to both. We would associate to the first order and then for the second uh, case, we wouldn't be uh, putting it anymore because it's already used up, if you will, right? Because we assume this one-to-one relationship. If we do that and then look at the process map, um, that comes out of that, it's not correct because from the sales order perspective, now it looks like one of the orders was delivered and the other was not delivered, which is not true. Both of them were delivered, right? So that's yeah. uh, not uh, not correct. So what we have to do is we need to go back and when we create the data, we have to put the delivery uh, for both orders because it's related to both orders. So now if we do that, then the resulting process map is correct. It shows us um, that both cases, in both cases, the the order was delivered, but it is flawed in a different way because if we're looking at it from a delivery perspective, it looks like there were two deliveries. If we're just looking at the frequency, which is not true, right? There was just one delivery. So this shows like it it depends really from which perspective we want to look at the process and we want to analyze the process does not only have influence on how we import the data or which kind of perspective we choose um, when looking at the data and that we can look at it from this angle and from that angle, but actually when we create the data from this kind of many-to-many um, relationship structure, we already have to make a choice based on how we want to analyze it. And also as the analyst, I actually have to know a little bit like how the data was created. So if I receive this data set and I know um, that it has been created from the sales order perspective, but that there are many-to-many relationships in there, then I know that I shouldn't um, consider the frequencies of the deliveries as the actual number of deliveries that took place because that's yeah that's not the view exactly. I'm taking the sales order view so I have to take that into account in in my analysis and that makes things um, yeah quite quite complicated and there are um, you need to yeah you need to make a choice in the data creation already and we wanted uh, to mention telling us, uh, right yes, on, please. It's telling us that, that uh, again, uh, you need to remember these conceptual choices that you took uh, during the data extraction, right? Yeah. Also down to the analysis. Because you need to remember that uh, now if you want to compute statistics uh, in the last example you showed, uh, you have to be careful, right, when you count things. Again, uh, it's not that the model that you get is wrong, right? Uh, the problem is that you have to interpret it correctly and remember that the choices that led to the data selection that, that led to that model have to be remembered and applied properly, right? Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, and this comes back to the discussion, like where do you put the complexity, right? The complexity is there. So exactly. where do you put it? So in this case, we are making the choice by focusing on one perspective. We are uh, creating the data in that way, then we analyze it. And there are also yeah, other approaches where the complexity is preserved And then it's handed through to the analysis phase, right? And this is what, mm-hmm. what we have seen also in the community lately. There's a, a new data format also that was created. We can also briefly show it. So we have been looking at the XES and the MXML ones. So I have an uh, OCL um, file here also. So if we look at that, then you will see it's also a kind of an XML-based uh, format. But in this case, it takes a minute to open. Actually, the... 
these kind of objects uh, and these multi-relation objects are preserved, right? So here, for example, is the list of object types, customers, items, orders, packages, products. So you have these many, many relationships, uh, situations specifically in par particular domains like uh, logistics and ERP systems, right? So it's in, in particular areas where you where you encounter this a lot. And then every event actually can relate to multiple of those Uh, different types so can relate to an order, but also to a delivery or uh, more than once. What we see in terms of like complexity is that then when that is being analyzed, right, we were picking some uh, some examples and we will, like we said, we will, we will share these pointers uh, together with the recordings in, mm -hmm. the, in the show notes. When people take these multi-relational um, event logs and they analyze them, then the process maps Uh, are becoming so the yeah they're becoming more complicated right you move part of the exactly. complexity to the map so so so, so, so Anne, you see uh, before even looking into that i just wanted to add a brief uh, maybe uh, again uh, you know something that could sound obvious right uh, it, depending on the constraints you have you are constrained in the model you can analyze right so uh, if you want to fix one single notion of case mm -hmm. you cannot escape from the flattening right It's like, you know, the, the limits of the language define the limit of the world, right? This was a famous uh, Wittgenstein quote, right? Yeah. So, so uh, the, the question that you just, just posed is, why don't we abandon, right, these uh, forcing people to define a single notion of case and simply accept the fact that there are events that relate to objects, right? In the example that, uh, that I was showing before, why do you want to create... Uh, two events out from the visit because you are talking about doctors receiving or doing is the same event relating to objects, the person that is receiving the visit, the person that is doing the visit, right? But then immediately the knowledge graph uh, would become like the one you were showing in the slide, right? And I wanted, you know, just to make uh, a little bit of a summary on, 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 on that. And, and if you now look into, into yeah, the slide you were showing, That is precisely, for example, what uh, you would uh, generate internally in on-prom before the flattening. Uh, and, and now in this work, uh, Dirk, uh, together with a student of his, uh, was uh, simply saying, look, why don't we represent directly, right? Yeah. This event data has a knowledge graph where some nodes are events, some other nodes are, are objects. Yeah, uh, yeah, and you can see the complexity, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And we have some others, right? So this is the newest one that was presented just at the ICPM conference. Uh, yeah, this very is, uh, recently. This is, to, this is to represent the data, right? But then the problem is, uh, how do you represent the process models? Uh, because also the output of this, right? The process model itself, uh, if you look at the directly follow graphs that you have in Disco, they take uh, one case and they evolve that, right? But if you now talk about these many-to-many -many relations where, where multiple objects co-evolve, you could also have models that represent these directly. Yeah, and there have been approaches, right? So we picked, uh, you picked some and we, we can look at them here. So, for example, then you really have multiple models that interact with each other, right? Through, yeah, yeah. for example, the exactly. droplets or object-aware nets, right? So we, we just wanted to briefly show them because, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. But at the same time, you also see that complexity has to go somewhere. So you have Exactly. To make... and, and now, once you have these multiple uh, objects that co-evolve, what is the focus that you want to highlight in the process model. 
do you want to highlight uh, the evolution of objects and the fact that sometimes uh, there are activities that touch multiple objects at once? Or do you want to emphasize the interaction between, uh, between different uh, you know, processes looking into single objects? Yeah. Or do you want to represent uh, the constraints that you may have on this object that sometimes prevent them to evolve or allow them to evolve? And so there is a, you know, you see a whole bunch of alternatives there that, that you can explore. Yeah, exactly, Please. exactly. Yeah, and, and, and maybe just, uh, yeah, as a last note uh, to maybe, yeah, add to what we have been saying throughout this whole session, right? There's, first of all, there's not one view that you can take, but you can take multiple views. Uh, and yeah, sometimes you have to take these make have to make these choices on different levels and maybe even create different data sets to analyze the process from different views but also even in the analysis phase um so that's as a as a last point i also wanted to show a, a quick example for that you can make choices just based on how you want to look at the process so that's something that i really encourage people who are new to process mining um encourage yeah. to do to first of all really get into this thinking like what does this mean with case id activity name timestamp it's very simple but it's kind of this lens through which you can take this process perspective like we have shown at the very beginning but how you do this um can also yeah be something that you can shape yourself and really influence yourself and i have a very simple example here at the end uh, i want to illustrate this with so for example If we're looking at this uh, last example here on the on the slide, um, then uh, let me see. It's not updating. I think now it's there. Yeah, now it's there. So uh, we see a very simple document um, kind of uh, authorization process where there's kind of five steps. But then um, you can also choose to maybe take an individual activity that you want to unfold, right? So, for example, here we have the rework type. It can be minor or a major rework in this in this one step. And for the other activities, that is not filled. So, as a as a re as a consequence, when we include um, that uh, second dimension into our activity name, the other activities are not impacted, right? It's just this one activity where we had this additional information, which we can unfold in a, in a similar way like we had before with the first level support and the back office uh, specialist, but here now for specific targeted activities. So even uh, in the analysis phase, while you already have chosen your perspective and you are doing your analysis in different ways, Uh, you can still yeah, play with that a little bit, right? To say, well, I want to see this in a more detailed way. And, and a nice example for that, uh, and again, we will point to this also afterwards, is um, we have an article on the blog where this was described in detail as from, uh, from an emergency, um, um, also a hospital example, where there was a, a planning um, that happened in the surgery date planning and um, the scheduling of that planning date was the, the the main aspect of the of the analysis of this healthcare analyst and so here you see in the in the process map there's a red uh, rectangle around this one single activity but she unfolded that uh, into um, basically by including the room information so into which room uh, was the patient being scheduled right so And by doing that, yeah, you can get a, a much more detailed view just on this one activity. Or 
And another example, we can look at kind of loop patterns like repeat uh, repetition patterns where we say, well, we want to unfold just this loop. We want to understand it in more detail and we can unfold this whole loop, which is now becoming like this huge thing in the process map uh, where we can see, you know, whether it was the first, the second or the third or the fourth iteration of doing this kind of uh, repetition. And so, as you can see, these are not things that are kind of that are always something that you want to do you only want to do these in very specific situations so so i think that's where we can see really these kind of layers right so you start with just a very basic perspective understanding what it is realizing you can take different perspectives dealing with yeah maybe some challenging situations where you if you have like many too many relationships but then i think the more advanced you become you realize that it's really a tool and a kind of a view that you can shape yourself as as you want to see the data mm -hmm. you can make it in the way that you want to see it absolutely so so i i think Anne, if you can add a couple of you know sentences on these so the, the very first aspect that possibly comes even before all the others is you you need to be aware of these need of defining perspectives need of scoping consequences that that may happen when you flatten or you take a certain perspective in this many to many case because awareness is is uh, the first thing in order to you know make them you able to properly interpret the result that you get right Otherwise, yeah. uh, if you are not even aware that by flattening uh, you, you you computed wrong statistics, obviously you will simply read the data and garbage in, garbage out. You will misinterpret the data, right? Yeah. The, sec the second point is uh, there is, again, you, you see this uh, inherent aspect of process mining that uh, you need to continuously interact with uh, the, the, the tools in order to get uh, all these different models. And, and only by then relating all these different models that you got, uh, you can uh, really get insights about reality, right? Yeah. And, 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 the very, and, and, and the very last I wanted to make uh, is uh, uh, the more I think we can avoid uh, or, you know, uh, relieve people to do manual things in the data transformation steps, the better it is, right? Because uh, obviously, right, uh, in all the things that we have been discussing today, there is always, you know, a very conceptual way of understanding what you are doing, and then awareness comes, right? But if instead you are, you know, hard coding uh, data transformation steps for preparing the data, uh, this is not documented, this is not supported by, you know, ontologies or even by, uh, uh, you know, a visual tool like Disco where you declare where is the activity, where is the, where is the, the, the case, etc. If these things get into, you know, undocumented code or ad hoc procedures, then the quality of, your, of the overall process is completely out of control, yeah. which I think should be avoided. Yeah. Yeah, you need you need to know what you are doing, but you have yeah you need. I think that these are the perfect closing words. You you need to have the awareness to know what you are looking for and what you want to do and why and and what you want to achieve with this. And then there's still yeah. a whole lot of other things that have to happen. Well, thanks a lot. Uh, I think that brings us to the end of this session. Thanks a lot, uh, Marco, for joining. It was a lot of fun going through all these examples with you. Um, thank you all. Yes, that's, that's, that's great. And thank you all for, for joining um, uh, on, uh, uh, yeah, uh, on, on your side over there. Um, yeah, we really 
like to do these sessions, we will continue to do these sessions. Um, there will be a new one next month where we talk about manufacturing, cross mining and manufacturing. So stay tuned for that. And um, yeah, that's that's it. Thanks a lot for your time, Marco. Thanks, Thanks for you. joining. Thanks. Bye everyone. Bye Thanks. Bye, bye everyone. Bye bye.